Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Imprint Companion. This is a podcast where my lovely cinephile friend, Alexi Toliopoulos, and I, Blake Howard, go through and unpack and unbox and dig into the resplendent pleasures of Imprint Films, a local Australian boutique Blu-ray label who bring out batches on a monthly basis. This is us going back through and foraging through the absolute gold dust that is in the Imprint Bundle from May 2023. Lex, it's so fantastic to be back with you talking Blu-rays, talking discs. How are you, my friend? I'm good, my friend. It is great to be catching up over this batch in particular because it is a nice, weird, and varied little batch of films. Yes, it is. There are some little treasures in here, some treats, and I would say on the whole, these are all new movies to me. This is a very exciting batch to be diving into, and I would say quite varied. They're films from all over the spectrum that capture different elements of cinema history, which I find really fascinating. Yeah, it's uh, in a lot of imprints that we tackle, especially when we do a bundle or a month, they're themed, right? So if folks are listening to this, they might have recently seen imprint put out like their October bundle, which is a horror. Like it's almost like a whole bunch of like 90s and early 2000s horror films that have maybe escaped the radar, maybe escaped the love that they've, uh, you know, so deserved in home video that we used to get in video stores. And it's all like horror themed. And then occasionally there's like a big one where there's multiple filmmakers worth of box sets or a specific, you know, noir collection. So that's crime films and all those sorts of stuff. But this one, it's all over the shop. It's got like fan- yeah. early 1940s. 46 Fantasy with Catman in Paris. It's got The Great Gatsby, so a literary ad- adaptation. It's got Jules Dassin's Uptight, um, which is like in the days after the uh, Martin Luther King assassination. It's got The Long Voyage Home um, by director John Ford. It's got a little quaint, you know, ex-serviceman drama, uh, Bus Riley's uh, Back in Town. It's it's all over the map. Like it's, it's and I, I kind of love these eclectic little batches that come in because it's almost like we have not got a consistent theme and maybe the theme mm-hmm. is that there is no theme. So that's... Uh, I, I kind of like that. I think that's what it is. This is just a scattershot group of films, and there are a couple of gems in here. And I would even say there's a couple of like actual masterpieces by fantastic, great, all-time filmmakers that I hope can become part of the conversation a bit more again as we talk about the two films that I'm thinking about in here. Oh, excellent. Well, let's uh, get started with uh, the what maybe the coolest movie poster cover of all time let's start talking about 1946's the Catman of paris was clawed to ribbons as if by a cat. Now we'll find an explanation for that. There's something supernatural about this case. There have been cat people. Oh. Instances of such I met of record. Not record, merely legend. Author Charles Rainier returns to 1896 Paris after exotic travels, having written a bestseller which the Ministry of Justice would like to ban. That very night, an official is killed on the dark streets, clawed to death, 
The prefect of police suspects some type of werecat, but Inspector Severin thinks there is nothing supernatural about Rainier's motive. Rainier begins to doubt himself when he has another hallucinatory blackout during the second killing. Who is the infamous cat man of Paris? Lex, what did you think about this speedy, brisk, cool, twisty, supernatural thriller? I had a great time with this. Yes. This is such a fun little oddity from the Poverty Row era of filmmaking. Not the big studios, smaller studios that pump out films. Yes. And this one, well, it's not quite as good as the similarly themed uh, Werewolf of London that came out about a decade earlier, which is like the first kind of what we would consider modern werewolf movie or modern werewolf tale. It's almost a little bit more interesting in how weird it is and how kind of brisk and silly and fun it is. And for, you know, I don't often go into Poverty Row films. I've seen a scant few over my time as a cinephile. Uh, But what you do get out of them is often quite a surprise because there is like, there's interesting ways of cutting corners, whether it's like reusing of sets and stuff. And I found this to be actually genuinely a very good looking movie. This is quite yes. a good looking black and white horror picture uh, that uses shadows and stuff quite nicely. And I think this disc overall is a really wonderful pre- presentation. And if you are a cinephile that has no experience of Poverty Row films, uh, which are smaller studios making smaller films, usually in genre pieces. Uh, but Poverty Row studios would kind of like, unlike the big studios, the big studios would have like their one main thing that they did. You know, like MGM, it's musicals. Uh, Warner Brothers, it's gangster films. And then they would touch on other things. Poverty Rose Studios would usually be just doing everything. They're just doing kind of like heaps of different things. Yeah. And and it's 90. So if you haven't heard of Poverty Row before, it's about not a period broadly between 1920 and 1950s, what we call B movies today. And they yeah. just, like you said, scattershot reusing sets, you know, they're just like firing these little um, dainty, fast paced scripts out mm-hmm. uh, of, of a whole bunch of themes. And they also, as you said, Lex, they kind of looked to what was being popular in other bigger studio mm-hmm. films and kind of tried to make their versions of it. The, the, the second tier level of those things. Mm. So like, it's nice a- across, across the board. Some of the places are like CBC productions, Tiffany pictures, mascot pictures, monogram Republic, I think is probably the, one of the bigger ones um, that you might've seen on older flicks um, before, but yeah, that's, that's kind of uh the, the general stuff, the poverty road. And this is a Republic film. And I think what's really great about this presentation of this disc is there is a full feature length documentary, the Republic pictures story, uh, which is from 1991. And it is just like a clip show celebration of this studio. That is quite lovely. Cause it kind of gives you a really great background on what are poverty road pictures. And, how this studio functioned and how it worked and what they produced and kind of getting the breadth of experience that those films are, how some are like tacky little shitty things. Some of them break barriers and are actually quite interesting. It's a really great presentation. And between two films in here, they're both pretty brisk, both a fun watch. Uh, For cinephiles only, I would say, if you're a cinephile, 
this is kind of like an easy little pick-me-up that you can grab to just experience a little bit of film history in a different way that you might not have touched on before. You had a chance to touch on the movie as well, Blake. Did you find some interest in it? I remember we saw a movie together, and I was like, chuck this on, dude. It's like an hour long. You can do it so quickly before you even fall asleep tonight. Yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed it. The thing I love about it is, and this is what I love about these brisk pictures, is... In so many films where there is some supernatural element, there's a whole bunch of time. And I think this is about, you know, this is like sort of treating the audiences like they have no idea what's going on, where people like explain the supernatural phenomena and what they learned and what they did. And what I love about the the Poverty Row flicks is, and, and, and a lot of these classic horrors, is that it is just kind of... You might have like a scientist or an investigator who just starts talking about potential supernatural phenomena and just rolls by. And I just loved, mm. I was so refreshed that like, yeah, in this world, there's been supernatural phenomena that have been covered. No one really knows what the answer is and let's get on with it. And I'm like, it's such an economical form of storytelling, obviously because they have to. But I think that yeah. sometimes that like the necessity is the mother of invention. And that's a super inventive way of telling stories that isn't talking down to the audience. So I love that about it. And I also love the phenomena um, that, you know, it's the mystery is entangled with the publishing of a book that is going to, you know, be potentially harmful to people. And it's like this weird, funny, like time of like how the power of text and it sort of also had like a weird undercurrent of being really prescient while being like, you know, very classic. And so I really enjoyed the way that it balanced those two things. Um, and, and, any investigator who just builds a miniature of a crime scene to investigate it, you've got me. I'm hooked. I'm, I'm hooked immediately. <laughs> I just love an investigator who builds a miniature to, to figure out what's going on. It's so fantastic. Um, but no, I had a really good time. It's a curio, as you, which is a phrase that you use quite a bit, and I love it. It's a curio, but it was a fun curio and very mm. interesting. And formally just shows like, I don't know, I just, I just love sometimes the constraints of budget to have to be really formally clever and i think a lot of these carnival road pictures if you check out some of the republic ones some of them have these really masterful like exchanges and how to be really clever and use budget to your advantage and um i think that sometimes that is that's really special i think even when we look back at you know some of that um you know post post new hollywood influence of like american studio filmmaking you can see that like budgets were modest and so invention was paramount and that's where like great filmmakers you know with their head and shoulders above others, like, you know, the really Scots of the world and the James Camerons and stuff in contemporary Hollywood cinema. But it's like here in Catman, it's, um, they're, they're, you know, they're playing around with this stuff. And I feel like, you know, speaking of contemporary filmmakers, I feel like this might be like a Guillermo del Toro favorite. I can see him having the poster mm -hmm. on his wall, you know, like it, yeah. it feels it feels much like that. So I, I had a really good time with it. It was fun. And like you said, there's just nothing better than a really brisk tale, well-told, you know, fun I had a good time. I had a really good time with this. It was very enjoyable. Yeah. Absolutely. From the Catman to a merchant ship in the North Atlantic, we're going to the long voyage home. Oh, memories, Dunkerman. Best thing to do with memories is forget them. Suppose you couldn't forget them. I'd get drunk, same as you were doing. Whatever set you going to see him an old tramp like this? I suppose there's a woman mixed up in it, ain't there? The merchant ship Glencairn rolls and shivers in the black North Atlantic. On board, her anxious crewmen search the sky for German planes and hope they'll survive. The long voyage home 
is directed by John Ford and written by Dudley Nichols. It's adapted um, uh, for this, and it's a compelling lyrical look at Men at Sea that O'Neill considered his favorite of all time uh, filmed works. Um, so O'Neill is the author whose work it was adapted from, um, and it was nominated for six Academy Awards in 1940. Um, stars John Wayne, Thomas Mitchell, Ian Hunter, Ward Bond, legendary Ward Bond, Barry Fitzgerald. Lex, you've had a chance to watch this one. I haven't yet. And uh, this is one of my blind spots in the long career of John Ford. A good one. It is fantastic, Blake. I don't want to spend too long talking about it because I, I'm i always unequipped to talk about how good this movie is. It's also not exactly in my wheelhouse, but I think that's what makes me appreciate it so much. Uh, this, not only the pedigree that you've spoken about, with John Ford, with John Wayne, based on a wonderful Eugene O'Neill work. Um, it is also shot by one of the real all-time greats, uh, Greg Toland, uh, who you know his cinematography from Citizen Kane, The Grapes of Wrath, The Best Years of Our Lives, Wuthering Heights, The Bishop's Wife, uh, uh, The Song of the South, The Outlaw. So many like true classic films that he kind of shapes the way that we even think about black and white photography. I I don't want to hyperbolize <laughs> too much, but I think this might be his best work. Whoa. And I think that what he does here is the way that he kind of captures like the sea, the geography of this boat, like the it's it's quite quite remarkable. It might even be one of the best looking black and white films I've ever seen in my life. Like it is really really spectacular. Oh this God. film. Um, I don't want to spend too long talking about. No, we're gonna go. Cinematography was the main thing that I really want to just highlight. This is a great. This is a really really great release because it's like packed with all the kind of things that you need to kind of give this a little bit of context. In particular, I really liked. Uh, video essay by Tag Gallagher uh, called Homecoming. He's a John Ford historian and biographer. Uh, I also really adored this uh, Cambridge University English professor, Jean Chothia, on Eugene O'Neill and the Voyage Home. Pretty cool. Like, this is a great release. If you're a John Ford completist, uh, you got to see this one. I'm slowly getting there. I think when I was a teenage cinephile, John Ford was one of those big marquee names that was very... A lot of these films are getting DVD releases at that time. So it's quite easy to watch a lot of his westerns and stuff. There's a few things outside of his western cinema canon that I've not really gone into. Um, and this was something that really teased me up to want to watch more of those two. You're spot on because that's exactly what happened with me. You know, being a Michael Mann head, you hear about his affinity and affection for John Ford and being a Peckinpah head and, you know, Scorsese head and whatever the case may be, all my guys all talk about, you know, and even Spielberg talk about John Ford. Where's the horizon? You know, they talk about yeah. John Ford as like the most influential filmmaker in American cinema. And so when you go back, like so many of his films are great, but this one has escaped me too. So I was, it was one that was on my list. I didn't get a chance to but you've you've thrown it straight to the top which is uh absolutely sensational we'll be right back after this quick break Very much like this movie, Blake. Uh, shall we move on to one that you had a chance to catch up with? Yes. It's a movie called Bus Riley's Back in Town. Hey, Mom! Hey, Mom! 
see how any girl could turn down a guy like us. He's gorgeous. I'm so happy to see you. I'm expecting big things of you. Right now, my senses tell me you're gonna kiss me. I didn't even get to see you in your little... little sailor suit. He doesn't make any deliveries at night. He just drives over to that Flucy's house and stays there until morning. I want love to give me something. Like what? My kids. Family, a home. Everything's going to be all right, all right. Just relax. Doesn't that husband of yours ever, uh, ever show up? <laughs> a brooding ex-serviceman, Michael Parks, comes home and spends time with an innocent girl and a worldly woman played by Anne Margaret. An entertaining, well-written and well-acted drama with a great cast and Margaret sex-potting her way throughout makes this a must-see movie. For Anne Margaret fans, this is a holy grail and it's a forgotten gem. That is what Imprint has to say about it. But I want to hear what you have to say about this movie. Look, um, it's a Bus Riley is a quaint is a quaint movie in that the story is kind of small scale. Bus is a popular guy in his local town. He comes back. Janet Margolin, who plays Judy, is his sister, and she comes back into town. And he's been away in the Navy for a couple of years. And as he comes back, you find out that Anne Margaret is his lost love, and she's now been married, and she's there. So this is a really cool movie. It has some other stuff that I kind of don't want to spoil because if you've never heard of it and you can get your hands on it, I don't want you to sort of spoil some of the like the tidbits in there. But all I just want to say is. For anyone who's like a huge cinephile and, and you're and you're an obsessive of like, especially like contemporary big filmmakers like Tarantino and stuff like that, this is the kind of movie where, you know, you might've heard Tarantino talk about and rave and gush about people like Michael Parks and mm. seeing him as a young man and all this sort of stuff and a relationship with James Dean. And you're like, kind of, it's hard to orient yourself, especially as Australians with the early work of some of these big actors who then went on and had huge TV careers because we just could never see it. Like there's just yeah. no way for us to, to source it unless you got some real boffin connections that have got fantastic now digitized <laughs> libraries. Um, but in 93 minutes, this Harvey Hart directed uh, William Ing written. Um, he actually wrote it as it says Walter Gage, but it's William Inger. Um, it's really, it's like Michael Parks as James Dean. He's so wow, attractive. Okay. He's so cool. He's just unbelievable. Like it, he's just oozing that energy. If you, if you needed, like, I know that we've done some of these other, you know, James Dean ish movies before as part of imprint, mm. but this was that. And Anne Margaret is amazing because she comes back and rather than, you know, staying in her marriage and being comfortable and like this being the cool guy that's trying to woo her, like bus comes back into town and meets his long lost love. And she is just like she's she's the amoral one, she's the unhinged one, and, and which is why they're sort of sex potting across town, which is mm. part of what I won't spoil. But man, this movie is like Snack City. Michael Parks wow. is hotter than he's ever been. Like you, oh my god, see, you see him as a curmudgeon in all these old movies. I'm like, man, yeah. he was a snack. He was a snack. And wow. Margaret, completely hot, great little fifties twisty somethings under the surface of suburbia movie. Had a really good time with it, and it breezes by at 93 minutes. Has some of those quaint, you know past day sort of like you know glowing look at this kind of town but one of the things i did love about it which is kind of the entire establishment of the town it's that post-war town feeling where there's a lot of women about 
There's been men who've been off at war and it's been lost and the entire, I guess, societal structure is all changing. And there's this kind of opportunism around people coming back home, trying to reestablish their lives, et cetera. So it's got that great kind of like post-war feeling. And it's got, I think, a little bit more under the surface than probably the kind of, uh, uh, you know, uh, crass kind of like sex mm. pot comedy has it's not it's not that it's got something underneath and i think that that's all in parks's performance um and Anne margaret despite being this kind of alluring character is just electrifying on screen both of them look amazing the color is exquisite i had a really good time really worthwhile watching and i i was expecting it just based off the cover that it was going to be something like mm. scandalous and silly it even says it on the poster but it's like it's not it's got some substance to it and it's really excellent Oh, you have sold me on it, Blake. I will be catching up with this. I love Anne-Margaret. Michael Parks, I'm interested to see what he was like when he was a younger man. We only really know him as that curmudgeon that you said. Like, yeah. that's really how that's I what... know him. He's the character actor that pops up in Tarantino. In He's in Red State. Red that's, State. That's Michael Parks. That's one of my favorite, one of my favorite Michael Parks performances. And I want to say, also, Michael Parks and David Carradine, both... In Kill Bill Volume Two, the previous movie that they did together, Bus Riley's Riley. back in town. David Carradine plays Stretch, just a character in the town. One of the guys is kicking around, just a little bit part. And I was just like, man, this is wild. <laughs> it's a wild thing wow. to see. Like, um, uh, very good. Very had a good, had a really good time. But I think now I'm going to set you up to talk about. I think probably the biggest, uh, the biggest highlight, I guess, of this. And yeah, really. Um, uh, you know, if we're talking about the connections, the fact that a John Ford movie is in here and now a, a an updated remake of a John Ford 1935 mm -hmm. film, The Informer, is the next one we're going to talk about. Let's talk about Jules Dassin's Uptight. <laughs> After the assassination of Martin Luther King, Tank Williams, Julian Mayfield, is an unemployed and itinerant steelworker who turns over his military friend, Johnny, Max Julian, to the police for the $1,000 reward, resulting in an underground all-points bulletin to exact vengeance on the squealer. Legendary director Jules Dassin is undirect, unrelenting directorial pace is complemented by the driving score of Booker T. Jones. Stars Raymond St. Jacques, Ruby D, Roscoe Lee Brown, and Frank Silvera. I, this is one that I haven't had a chance to watch yet, and I'm so dying oh. to watch it, and I really want to hear you talk about it, Lex, because like I, I I, almost had like a sacred moment getting this, this disc from Imprint, like I can't just watch this on my home TV. You know, I've got a great mm. high definition TV, but I'm like, I have a projector at home. 
And I mm. want to get it on that hundred inches and I want to just watch this thing. No family in the house. I just want to do it like it's like a cinema experience. Tell me about Uptight. I think it would look incredible on projected against a wall. I think that I, I really loved this film. This is up there with like the great discoveries I've made doing this podcast, watching all the imprint films. It is a film I hadn't even heard of. I'd heard of the original, The Informer, the John Ford film. I'd heard of it before. I don't think I've seen it. Like I said, I think it's in that blind spot I have with John Ford. Um, Jules de Sin, I think, is someone that despite having a few films in the canon of cinema, especially in the canon of crime cinema... He is kind of not heralded as much as he should be. Let no. me rattle off a few of his films. Obviously, everybody knows Rafifi. Yeah. This is like the all-time heist film, the crime classic. Night and the City, one of the best gangster noir films. Great they- film. Great film. I love Night in the City so love much. Love Night in the City. Also, another one of the great noir films, Naked City, Brute Force, which oh. is kind of like a war action film with Burt Lancaster. Top Guppy, which is a really funny European heist caper film uh, that he made with his wife and creative partner, uh, Melina Makuri, which they also together made a true classic of European cinema, Never on a Sunday. Um, Uptight is up there with all of these classic films. I think he's he's made enough films that are considered classics where he should be more in the conversation. But I think the two things that hold him back are that he is a bit of a journeyman where he can kind of like attack multiple genres with a lot of skill. But there is a noir current that runs through all of them that I yes. think is something that still makes him more of an auteur than a journeyman. Uh, but the other thing that I think has held him back, obviously, is he was blacklisted um, yeah. during the McCarthyism era, and he had to escape to Europe, and then he goes to Europe and makes really classic films, like Never on a Sunday, Rafifi and stuff. Um, this is quite spectacular. You have that undercurrent of noir coming through, in that this is a nocturnal movie, my favourite kind of film. It's all that like one crazy night energy with this film. That Just, really... just going to pause and say, if Imprint is listening, Nocturnal Noir, a Jules Dassin box set, I've got a man for you to write an essay. His name's oh, yeah. Alexi Toliopoulos. Oh my oh, gosh. Yeah. Nocturnal Noir? Let's go, Lex. Let's go. I absolutely think that... I, I do hope, Imprint, if you are listening... There's a lot of Jules de Sin films that have not had like good releases. Never on a Sunday has never had a release. Seeing this film fills me with hope that one day there could be a Never on a yeah. Sunday Blu-ray release. Uh, even if you just go, we're doing Jules de Sin's Greek era, when he moved to Greece, married Melina Makuri, and made all these Greek movies. I want there's, I need to explore those more, because <laughs> they're hard to find. Um, this film is remarkably shot remarkably shot i can't even really describe the cinematography because it feels quite unique like he is kind of experimenting with the shape of what he can really do with like a nocturnal film like it's it explores like geography it explores so much stuff uh the cinematographer is boris kaufman who god almighty i didn't even know what he did but i'm clicking on him now <laughs> some of your favorite movies mate 12 angry men on the waterfront mm-hmm. uh the pawnbroker the fugitive kind splendor in the grass so he's like a lumet guy jeez and he, he and i think what is different about this he is kind of capturing he's kind of capturing this 
this space between naturalism and expressionism with this film mm. uh, in colour that is really, really wonderful. It's high energy, it is high tension, and it is really, really meaningful. And Jules de Sin, I think, because he's a deep thinker and a deep feeler, he's able to translate those feelings of this like kind of time of upheaval and this time of unease and capture them, capture the empathy in them, but capture the tension as well. Uh, it's a remarkable movie. This is a far and away easy recommendation. If you're someone, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you clearly love film and you clearly explore film <laughs> history. Definitely pick this one up. It's got great context, context adding elements in the disc as well. But if you just want to get to it right away, uh, this one is available on Apple tv or apple whatever you call itunes these days <laughs> you can just watch it straight away on there too if you just want to get straight into it um remarkable movie jules de sin an icon he should be in the conversation when we talk about our great classic filmmakers and this film was one i didn't even know from him and immediately i think it might be his best work well that is a resounding um call out to a couple of bangers that are available as of recording this moment, I can tell you guys that the May bundle box is sold out. So if you go to imprint or you go to Amazon, wherever you get your imprint films or whatever the case may be, you'll probably have to buy singles to find the disc. Mm -hmm. But on the imprint site, the bundle is gone. Uptight, Long Voyage Home, Bus Riley, Catman of Paris, plenty of things to select there and to love. We're going to catch you on another episode very soon of the Imprint Companion. Lex, um, before we jump out, um, uh, let's give a little plug. You and your legendary partner in crime and investigation, Mr. Cam James, are back together. Um, the legendary pairing behind Finding Drago, Finding Desperado, and Finding Jesus, and of course, Total Reboot. You've got a brand new culture show called Special Features in the same pod feed. Tell us about it. Yep, so you can get it. If you're already subscribed to Total Reboot, you're in that feed already. It's been changed over to special features, which is just for us a new way to explore culture, a new way to explore popular culture. Uh, we wanted to move away from the movie of the week format so we could kind of talk about things more broadly. So we're talking about the past, present, and future of popular culture in each episode. We talk about news, we pick a big topic that we want to discuss, and then we talk about some moments that happened that time time in history throughout culture um it's more about the riff i would say this podcast we're going back <laughs> to our roots and being silly and funny and talking about stuff that we're interested in and care about um so it's a weekly pop culture catch-up show it's called special features check it out it's really fun i'm glad that cameron and i have gone back into a weekly podcast uh after quite a you know a significant hiatus a little for a hiatus few months. A little hiatus yeah yeah but it's brought us back re-energized in doing something that we really enjoy doing. Uh, Blake, you've been working on some cool stuff recently too. Yeah. Uh, so right now, uh, finally, after doing Pod Thomas Anderson, um, we're back in the editing suite for uh, Podcaster and Commander. So doing some big stuff on there. So you're going to start seeing episodes of that pop up in the main One Hit Meter Productions feed. I've just started recording with Jen Johans, a terrific new show that's going to come out later in the year 
midnight run through where we get some dynamic duos together um some great comedic dynamic duos to come together to talk about the incredible film midnight run starring Mm -hmm. obviously robert de niro and charles groden um so one of my favorite movies and lex you and cam i've got to get you guys both on that one as well that's going to be super fun you guys being silly together um the perfect movie to talk about there and uh of course kicking uh, kicking goals consistently with miami nice katie walsh and i um covering the horniest uh modern man film miami vice with a, a, a cavalcade of beautiful guests who come onto that feed as well so check that out um and many more shows coming up in the future including the great henson caper ethan warren and i are back together working on a a a short 12 episode uh series about the life and work of the brilliant jim henson which is going to come out a little bit later this wow. year which i'm very excited oh my God. about that's the first time I've heard about it. That's so exciting. Yeah, that it's it's look, it's Ethan is brilliant. Um, he's been extremely passionate. We came up with this idea together and we've been workshopping it through. And um, I'm really excited because there's a lot of stuff that's been happening there. And uh, it, it's really special. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that people get to listen to it and, uh, and really enjoy it as they did with Pod Thomas Anderson. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Amazing. Far out. Well, I can't wait. <laughs> All right. You got we, your first fan, mate. <laughs> I can't wait to get it out there. We can't wait for you guys to uh, hear us again on this and check out everything on uh, viavision.com.au for imprint films. And you can go and check it out there. Otherwise, get out there, buy them. These They're amazing collections. We have so much to look forward to coming up. So we'll catch you on the next episode very soon. Johnny, I love you. You know, Johnny, Johnny, I love you. I said, Johnny, oh, Johnny, Johnny.